I think that um, healthcare is still undisrupted. There will be um, firms like ours and a few others who will focus on very specific problem areas within health, but also engage patients to be the drivers of, of change. The system, at least in this country and, and others, most countries still, isn't designed for sort of uberization of healthcare where the people make the decisions and the people are driving the change. On today's show, we're talking to Orlando Agrippa, the CEO of Draper and Dash. We're talking all about diagnostics and data and how it can help deliver healthcare for patients. My name's David Savage, and you are listening to Tech Talks, your twice weekly podcast with views and news from the leaders across the technology industry. Joining me on the show today, Jack Pierce, after a little bit of a hiatus. I don't know what's been going on. Well, I was in Lisbon. You were in uh, Lisbon. I think the week before that, I was a bit busy. Um, but yeah, here we are, back at it again. Yeah, welcome back. Um, you. you know what's not efficient? Um, I mean, the government, um, trains. Uh, where where are we you going go. with this? I'll, my, I'll... My, my commute. <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to have recorded this about half an hour ago, but I, my train was on time and then it sat in a platform for six minutes whilst it waited for the fast service that had been delayed <sighs> to come through, which then knock-on effect made us surrender. Like, if the fast service is late, mm-hmm. it's late. Mm-hmm. Don't make everyone else late. A hundred. It's almost like you, bastard. you wish there could be some kind of data capture tool on the uh, the turnstiles that would not let the platform get too busy if there's delays, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty I mean, much. is that a, is that a kind of tenuous link into into D and D? I, th- I think so. I think Ish. so. Yeah. <laughs> Look, coming up on today's show, we're talking to Orlando. He's the CEO of Draper and Dash, and this is applying uh, data analytics to healthcare. So we'll dive into the interview. When we come back, myself and Jack will have some thoughts, and obviously we'll have a piece of technology news for you just afterwards. So this morning, we're talking to Orlando, the CEO of Draper and Dash. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. How are um, you? Yeah, good. Apart from the rain and the travel delays and the Extinction Rebellion. Uh, <laughs> so I appreciate your, your time this morning talking to us. How was your weekend? Um, you know what? Um, most weekend these days are a bit of a, a blur, right? So um, I would love to say that I remember how it was, but um, <laughs> I, um, I spent a lot of time getting um, stuff prepped for... We've got a lot of demand moment from our customers and um, trying to ensure that the weekends are used to catch up is what I've been doing. So that's what makes it a blur. I mean, it does, it does seem like a fairly kind of whatever question, but as a, as a CEO of your own startup or great, well, you probably wouldn't describe yourself as that now, but your own business, yeah. I suppose it's difficult to sometimes find downtime. Yeah, I, I, I think... I've I've had um, I've had a range of businesses. I've um, uh, invested. Um, I've started other businesses in the past, um, and I don't think that it doesn't matter how large or small. Um, once you're still in the business and in what is effectively a driver's seat, I think um, your brain still occup- um, occupies the same types of things mm. and operates in a similar way. So I don't think you ever can easily switch it off um, unless you take a slight sidestep and get someone else to, to um, take the reins. Yeah, yeah. So, so look, before we get into anything, people might not be familiar with Draper and Dash, so 
It'd be great, first of all, if you could just spend, I don't know, 30 seconds a minute explaining what the business is. Yeah, um, sure, sure. Um, so, who are we? Um, we are a healthcare um, venture-backed data uh, and analytics firm at our core. Our focus is, or preoccupation, is on patient flow. So how do we get um, hospitals to leverage technology and our software mm-hmm. to optimize the way that they see, admit, treat, and discharge patients um, seamlessly? That is what we do. We provide hospitals with a platform which has got several modules plugged into it. That Those modules plug into their live data sets and allow them to manage the front door, manage patients with cancer, manage um, operating theaters, manage their bed base, um, the entire thing. So that's what we do. I find, look, I, I do find this subject personally very interesting. Uh, my wife's had a number of different health issues over the last couple of years, and we've been in and out of hospital a lot, and they never feel particularly efficient. So it was quite interesting to, to see that you compare them to factories, because my, my experience would be that whilst they are full of wonderful staff, they are fairly ineffective factories a lot of the time. No, this is true. This is, this is, this is true, and this is, I suppose, um, what created the genesis of our business and what probably still fuels um, our business being in this form, right? Um, so hospitals are um, very much like factories, but um, like many factories, you'll have factories that are pretty um, not so great at processing um, things, and you'll have you know, world-class um, factories that probably produce um, cars like Tesla and, and uh, Volvo, etc. Right? Um, I think the, 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 the enormous difference is that Hospitals have got um, uh, a product on like, um, uh, I don't know, a car factory, mm. which is extraordinarily fragile. So you don't get a recall really easily, right? It's, it, you know, you get it wrong and it goes really wrong really quickly for um, a lot of people and it, it impacts a lot of lives. So I think that's probably why it, 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 um, it feels very different. And it's very human, right? It's, it's all about um, clinicians caring for for, 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 for individuals so it's not a mechanical business it's a caring business so I think when emotions are, are, are deployed on anything it leaves room for non-consistence um, which is important because you don't want your doctors not caring for you um, uh, you don't want them to be very mechanical right because that could go wrong well, I suppose most factories don't have people like me wandering in with all <laughs> sorts of different issues adding to the mess and the, and the melee I suppose in, in the heart of it well, a big, a big, true, but a big part of what we're seeing now globally, and it's, there's, I've been reading this book by Eric Tupple, um, and a massive issue in every country now is variation, mm. right? So if you think about it, um, and you know, we're working with uh, a number of customers at the moment, and I can't say who they are, but, um, but one of the things that we're helping them to tackle is variation. So you, of course you'll have, you can't predict precisely who will turn up when they'll turn up, right? Mm. So you've got that um, uh, element of um, variation. Um, But once patients enter a a health system or a hospital, what we're finding is you've got um, doctors who are ordering extraordinary amount of tests, um, CTs, MRI, etc., on patients um, uh, at the front door in one hospital um, and other doctors in a different hospital for the same sort of flow of patients and the same complexity of patients ordering a lot less so one of the issues that um, uh, we're trying to help organizations with is how do we reduce variation um, at a clinical level, mm. um, at a diagnostic level, at a operational level, so that there is some consistency deployed on the patient um, and hopefully efficiency is, is, is derived from that. So you talk about efficiencies there and 
kind of looking at the, the background of the company, you, you talk about providing organizations with solutions that improve quality, safety, outcome, efficiencies, and opportunities. What, what do those products and services actually look like? Yeah, no, definitely. Well, one, from, from, a, from a, 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 a sort of a crude answer in terms of what they actually look like, they look extraordinarily beautiful, right? So we can, <laughs> we can find that we've won a lot of awards for um, our ability to unmatched, I would say, ability to deploy analytics that makes the the eye just water with, with you know, it's just beautiful stuff, right? Um, so we can pop the beautiful stuff, but in terms of what they actually do is is probably um, where the question is. Um, so if you imagine um, uh, a hospital um, and, you know, choose any hospital, um, a large hospital, uh, what we um, deploy for, um, I don't know, a hospital with um, 9,000 staff, um, maybe uh, uh, 1,000 plus beds, is um, at the front door, we will deploy um, a module which says, we will profile everyone who's come into your emergency department um, by age, complexity, um, depth of diagnosis, by everything about that patient. Mm. And we will try to work out um, uh, uh, the... the um, chances of those patients being admitted into a hospital bed um, or the chance of them being discharged or how complex they are and what sort of resources you might need um, mm. to better manage the front door. Because most flow issues start with um, a hospital's ED, right? So can you get enough of these patients seen, treated, admitted or discharged within a set time to make it all work, right? So the front door is a real problem for probably 90% of all hospitals in this country. Like most of them are struggling with that. So we've got a bit of software that helps with that. And um, what we then go on to do is we've got a second bit of our platform which says, we know that Dave is, um, I don't know, 20 years old um, and has got two comorbidities um, uh, or two things wrong with him, right? So he's got, yeah, that's how sick this patient is. Um, and we know that every single Dave that has been in this hospital previously um, have stayed in a bed for three days um, and have required these things. Therefore, we will predict how long you'll be in a bed and what um, uh, 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 complexity you might have so that the hospital can plan resources around it, Dave, as opposed to waiting for you to be in that bed and then trying to figure out, okay, what might happen. Mm -hmm. So those are two examples. We've then got um, on the on the quality and, and the, the sort of I don't know, optimization end of things. We've got a module called um, Cause. It's a clinical outcome review system, but it's just a module on the platform. And what that does is it's targeted at um, the uh, clinical teams to, and this is probably after an event has happened, but it helps to improve quality going forward. So we review all mortality and we, we, we deploy it with the, um, with the teams who are in charge of uh, uh, reviewing deaths in a hospital. And what they use that for is to be able to um, look at every single patient that died, what they've died from, you know, could it, could it have been avoided or not, etc. They use that learning to then um, ensure that pathways are improved and patients that are coming into hospital do not die where they shouldn't, right? Um, in, in crude terms, it's a bit more complex than that, but that's the sort of crude version of it. We've then got a solution, and we've got about 22 of these things, so we won't cover all of that, but we've then got a solution. This is, is, is really, um, I think, exciting for us, um, which looks at um, a hospital's inpatient, outpatient, um, A&E, um, and, and pharmacy data among um, a few, right? Um, and it says, we want to primarily look at how we um, optimize um, flow 
um, but also optimize medicines, right? So I'll give you a scenario around this. Um, if Orlando Agrippa is um, a diabetic patient um, and he has got six things wrong with him, right? Um, what we will look at is we will look at how many times in the last decade or the last year has Orlando hit this hospital in terms of uh, the A&E department, the bed base, right? Outpatient appointments um, uh, uh, and everything. So how many encounters has this patient had um, on the flow continuum? Because that's you know, our first um, uh, uh, preoccupation. The second is we then look at what drug is Orlando on, right? So what drug have we prescribed to him? Mm. And is that drug um, correlated to Orlando's um, inability to stay out um, of a hospital? Because no one wants to be in hospital, but hospitals are where you get um, probably most of the infections, etc. right? They are places where people get treated at, so a lot of things happen there. So if a patient can be um, treated outside of a hospital, it's probably better for them um, yeah, yeah. Uh, than being in a hospital. So we try to work out if Orlando has prescribed this drug and this drug should have helped him to stay at home and be treated um, or manage his care at home, if he's coming back to the hospital, um, what is off about you know this drug? And we then look at every patient that's like Orlando to work out if they're on other drugs and what those drugs are doing in terms of um, impact and flow. So are they managing to stay out of hospital mm-hmm. or are they having the same experience? So, so look, to, to deliver the services that you're talking about, you're going to need good data, clean structured <laughs> data. And you're dealing with organisations that people certainly have the perception are fairly bureaucratic and sometimes slightly unwieldy and trusts all differ from one to the other. If automation is really, and and machine learning is going to make a significant impact, how much time do you have to spend with those organizations in helping them get to a point where their data is managed and manageable for you? Um, I think it's an awesome question. Uh, I think this, um, you know, the NHS is, I think now probably the world's um, fifth largest employer. Um, Healthcare, um, uh, in the US alone, um, uh, makes up the world's fifth largest economy, right? Just the health system in the US, right? Um, so we're dealing with, you know, something of scale here, right? Um, what the NHS has got, um, which is, I think, an advantage um, uh, uh, to a lot of other health systems is, um, so every hospital across the planet from Shanghai to um, Chicago, right, has got to have um, a few things in common. One, they've got to have a clinical system. That clinical system has got to almost by law spit out um, a set of data which is consistent, right? The quality um, might vary in terms of depth of coding mm. um, or, or depth of accuracy, um, uh, but what a doctor has written about a patient is broadly representative of what's happened to the patient still, right? So that's across the world, this is already in place. That infrastructure exists. Um, for the NHS, however, what the NHS has gone through for you know years when I was a, a junior exec in health was um, uh, the NHS created a data set called the CDS or the Commission Data Set, which um, gets converted into something called SAS and it has. And that is what drives benchmarking across the country. It drives um, uh, uh, billing and a whole bunch of stuff. So that data set is pretty consistent. Most of our our, our, um, starting points for a deployment or an engagement with a hospital will start with um, a version of that data set. And that data set consists of inpatient, outpatients, and A&E, which are the vast majority of um, activity in in a secondary care uh, acute provider, right? So um, 
that that's the first sort of layer of how do we assure ourselves that we're working with something that is of quality, right? Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of um, deploying um, advanced algorithms on it, it's challenging still because um, we still think there's a long way to go. But what we, we do have that supports um, that transition is a program for most of our partners, which is um, around data confidence. And our chief operating officer leads on that. But um, it's going into an organization and running a series of tests to ensure that the data that we're dealing with, um, we've got a degree of confidence that it can get us some results or some sensible results mm-hmm. as opposed to not. Now, we've not seen that in every country that we work in, but in the NHS, I think they are further ahead um, because it's, that data set is used for so many things. Are organisations like yours the glue that are kind of sticking this global... I suppose this global ability to transform healthcare together because you tend to think of the NHS as being very much UK but then you watch something like Surgeons at the Edge of Life on the BBC and you realise that people are being sent to specialist centres in Germany and there is collaboration going on between healthcare systems across borders I suppose could the startup system be and, and, and the emerging tech scene be something that helps stitch that together I'm, I'm a massive um, massive we had um, we had a, an annual conference um, uh, or annual summit for execs in healthcare last Friday um, and it's one of the most unique things you'll ever go to like it's pretty you know it's pretty beautiful it makes me want to cry I'm just being there right um, uh, and um, one of the things that um, I had the privilege of saying to the execs is that I truly believe and we talk about this a lot on our own um, you know, podcast series right and I truly believe that years ago right um, if you if you imagine um, how you and I um, interact with transportation now, right? Um, before Uber, before the Uberization of things, right? Um, you know, in the US, in this country, etc., TFL kind of managed um, our expectation around movement of people, at least in the capital, mm-hmm. um, and that infrastructure. Um, and it wasn't doing all the things that we wanted to happen organically, right? Um, uh, and then something like Uber came along and, and it transformed that. But it was never transformed by policy or by a body driving it down. It was transformed mm-hmm. by the people, right? I think that um, healthcare is still undisrupted, right? You know, we have made some inroads, but it's like a billion miles to go, right? Yeah. And I think the way that it will happen, and I hope that the way that it will happen is that there will be um, firms like ours and a few others who will focus on very specific problem areas within health, but also engage patients to be the drivers of, of change. Because every decision in health um, uh, starts with a patient, impacts a patient, and ends with a patient, right? Mm-hmm. But the system, at least in this country and, and others, most countries still, isn't designed for the sort of uberization of healthcare where the people make the decisions and the people are driving the change. So I think to really tra- change healthcare, the startup community um, and more specifically the startup community focused on patients is where um, it will come from. You're the CEO of a tech business. If someone's about to start off on that path, what piece of advice would you give them? People still believe, and I do not believe this, um, that having a great idea or having uh, a great energy behind um, an idea is what's going to crack it. Um, I have not seen, both from what I've invested in or, or my own um, um, uh, journey through starting businesses up, um, 
anything that resembles that, right? I think um, success in healthcare and success in other sectors from a startup community will only come from um, uh, people who have, um, obviously you've got to have a good idea, right? Um, but people who are ready to dedicate almost their life to a mission um, uh, and, and stick with it because starting companies and delivering, it, it's like one of the hardest things you will ever encounter and on on Friday, you know, I, I advised this 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 um, good friend of mine that I met, and he asked this really great idea, right? And he said, you know, I think you know um, it'll be great if you can help me to to progress this. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to help you to to, to progress it and introduce you to some of the investors I know, etc. However, it took me I think a nanosecond to work out that um, what he would be better at is um, an entrepreneur, right? So going into a business where the structure is already there and probably being a CTO and mm-hmm. having some options and delivering great innovation. But the grit of starting something from scratch and you know, some days you'll be happy, some days you'll be sad, some days you'll wanna give up, some days you'll wanna you know, take on the world. Like it's an emotional, it's a bizarre place and I don't think it's for everyone. So I think people with great ideas should rethink it um, right. uh, and, and work out which of those two avenues probably suit them best. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you this morning. So have a good week. You. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Right. So before we get to the point where, where we talk about the, the hospital being a, a factory, he, he, he talks about it in almost factory terms, patient flow, optimize, seamlessly manage. Um, and it's an interesting, it's a different way of looking at healthcare, right? I think. Yeah, I mean, I was incredibly surprised to hear that, you know, the NHS, what did he say? It's the fifth largest employer in the world, yeah. which is, yeah. you know, so when you, when you think of it like that, you've got to think of it as like a business, you know, if it's the fifth largest employer out there, then you should be approaching it as if, you know, it is a company, an organization, a business, not just, you know, the, the hallowed NHS, which we all love and revere. Yeah. But, but business, business, yes, but factory implies yeah. process, structure, efficiency, flow and it's a bit different isn't it and I, I think that that's a really interesting way of looking at it like patients coming into the system and then need you know patient flow needing to know about the variation and and helping clinicians reduce the amount of variation his point around once you're in the system depending on which hospital you're in various different doctors might order different tests and that doesn't help the system really interesting yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, we're always saying how, how, how good and amazing the NHS is. And, you know, uh, Orlando addresses the point where he says, you know, the data sets, the, the CDC or the CDS, whatever it's called, that the NHS has is as good as it gets sort of thing in healthcare. And, you know, it just adds another argument. Don't vote for this Tory government because we need to protect the NHS. But, you know, that's ah. digressing into something else. I mean, the, the the interesting thing is when we talk about the NHS and saving the NHS, the answer is always more money at the NHS, three hundred and fifty million pounds a week for the NHS, and it's yeah. not about throwing more and more money. This no. is the, if if this is the fifth largest employer in the world, technology can make a tangible difference here because it is about managing it and it is about making it more manageable for the future and more predictable, so that actually efficiencies can be improved and better outcomes for patients. Absolutely. Um. What did you think about this idea that the NHS has a wonderfully consistent data set? I, like if someone had told me that, it, if it wasn't someone like Orlando who works in the sector, I'd be like, really? Does it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's good to hear. It's good to hear that it's still joined up relatively well and, you know, that the, the data can pass from NHS place to place or whatever. And I think, 
you know, you and I have openly said a million times before, we would happily share our health data if it means spotting an illness or, you know, helping others and stuff like that. And I think we, we all need to encourage that kind of school of thought about the NHS and, and how they use data. And mate, look, we all kind of blindly trust the NHS and they're doing the best thing with our data. Again, don't vote for this Tory government because they want to privatise parts of it. I'm getting a bit too political today, aren't I? But I read something about like how much if, if Boris got full control and the new NHS deals with the American big pharma and you know stuff has gone from being like £5 a pill to £300 a pill. And I'm really upset about it, Dave. Well, I do think it's funny, though, that despite all of that... Um very positive rhetoric around data what's underpinning cds is billing yes <laughs> love that um and, and the other point that i wanted to kind of touch on is this analogy with tfl and with transport tfl managed the movement of people around london not particularly well maybe uh in comes uber and i suppose you could extend that to ways and city mapper and technology is transforming data and an understanding you know we 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 know from this show when we've had finn from ways on the show that they share their data with tfl to help tfl better understand the flow of traffic around the city um and i love this idea that this that the nhs or sorry that healthcare hasn't been transformed yet by policy but people should drive that change. Yeah, I mean, we, we know from experience, and it's, it's similar with uh, local government, you know, the NHS can get bogged down in big legacy systems because of the long-term IT contracts they signed 10, 15 years ago. And that has really scuppered the ability to, to disrupt digitally within the NHS. I mean, there are fantastic companies out there working with the NHS and stuff, but it's 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 been a slow burner, um, to say, not necessarily to say the least, but it has been a slow burner. So I think it is lacking behind. And, you know, as it's the world's fifth largest employer, I, I guarantee you the other people in the top 10 have been disrupted you know, tenfold the amount that the NHS has with, with with digital progression and stuff. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet that the other ten are not. Yeah, uh, public sector. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think you know, the, it, it, it's funny because we talk about the flow of patients, but it's almost like well, the flow of. I, oh, the, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna change it. I bet the US government's in there. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, no, you're probably right, actually. Uh, but yeah, like anyway. we talk about flow of patients, but I, it interests me like how, how the flow of money goes through the NHS. Like, what have they spent it on, and so on and so forth. And I think maybe for too long they didn't have a CDO or they didn't have a CTO that really wanted to drive it. I I don't know, but I mean, there's a million and one things that that have scuppered the NHS over the last 10, 15 years. So I can't blame them. But here we are now with companies like um, D&D who are really going to really going to help them. Exactly. Look, I think we should go to our advert break. Orlando, thank you for being such a wonderful guest. When we come back, we've got one piece of technology news uh, before we say goodbye. Not indefinitely. (laughs) Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Our story is taken from the guardian bastion of all that is good in the world. Um, 
<laughs> Don't know why I said that. Anyway, uh, yes, hyena robots are scary, but they're also a cunning marketing ploy. This is written by Oscar Schwartz. It's a great read. Uh, yeah, everyone needs to go and read this article. It's fantastic. Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's got a picture of um, the Boston Dynamics robot dog Spot, uh, and I can recognise that that's taken outside the Altus Arena at Web Summit last week, um, um, where it was one of the attractions. And I saw uh, part of the video that Web Summit did for the for the rap was was Spot walking to the stage with everyone taking photos in awe of this dog, and that kind of oh my god look here's this robot dog reaction of the crowd is kind of what this article is driving at yeah 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 i mean we're all fascinated by them and as the article highlights we are always first to think oh fuck here comes the robot apocalypse they're walking now they're passing catch protests they're opening doors we are doomed and what this article does like satirically really well is point out the fact that that's the distraction you know that is the what was it one of the cray brothers used to put a cigarette in someone's mouth to distract right. them so they put a cigarette in their mouth and then he'd punch them because their jaw would be holding a cigarette so their jaw would be weaker so he'd break their jaw either easier you know this is that kind of distraction that's really going here and the uh, the craze right hook here is what they're doing with our data what these robots are actually gonna do not themselves but the people that what they're going to use the robots to comb the data from and it reminded me of westworld you know i won't give any two two big spoilers away but you think you're going there to experience you know how to live and breathe like a cowboy in actual fact all the robots there are collecting information on you and sending it back home sort of thing yeah i mean i think it's interesting because it talks it talks not necessarily just about data, but it talks about we haven't really thought about whether or not these are being well built. So mm-hmm. it, it points out that Uber's self-driving car hitting a pedestrian had nothing to do with the robot car and everything to do with shoddy engineering and a bad yeah. safety culture. And we get we get very distracted by the big flashy thing, and then we don't really question the technology behind it. And also, there is this distraction, as the article points out, and this is a little bit, I suppose, for you to go, oh, really? But... Um, Boston Dynamics have exploited the narrative, hiding the fact that they are a company that is funded by the military yeah, yeah. that are putting Spot Mini in your house, which is effectively a surveillance drone. I mean, it, it, the, the minute I read that you know Boston Dynamics received funding from the military, I was like, well, the, these dogs are being weaponized then. There's, there's no two ways about it. They will be on the front line of of battle any any day now if they're not already. Um, well, the reality, the reality is that the the military for their funding probably have a more advanced version of the technology oh, that the consumer yeah. is seeing yeah, because absolutely. let's face it military technology has always led the way to the consumer market yep yep i mean uh, the, the the example that sticks out is the hummer do you remember the hummer you know it was a military vehicle and then for some reason celebrities started liking these big ghastly vehicles and the, now the jeep the jeep did the you jeep. did you see gary lineker's um the, oh, the thing about his granddad it, no, so last no. night on tv it was talking about his, his granddad who was fighting in italy in the second world war mm-hmm. And the Jeep was an American invention because it was robust but lightweight to deal with hard winter warfare across uneven terrain. There you go. There you go. Not that we're saying that the Jeep is necessarily evil. I mean, everyone loves a Jeep Renegade in yellow, right? Who doesn't? Come on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I think this is an interesting article. It does raise the point that we get very excited about the robot jumping over stuff, but we don't stop and go, oh, hang on a minute. What about the tech? Is the tech actually good behind it? And... How's this being funded? 
It's and weird. it's stopping. It's stopping us asking important questions. It's weird because we will always question bias in, bias out with AI, but we're almost not doing that with these robots, which obviously yeah. is a part of AI. But everyone's just like, oh, they they skip a step. They're like, oh, we're fucked. We're dead. The robots are going to take over. And the article addresses that video that I was talking to you about before we came on air, where you have a humanoid robot and the dog robot, and these men. I mean, it's a joke. The whole video is a joke. But these men are like beating the human robot, and then they give him a gun to shoot the dog robot but the human robot turns and starts shooting the people picks up the dog robot and legs it into the sunset it's brilliant it's an absolutely brilliant video that i i found hilarious but i I implore everyone to watch that violence and movies and video games have rotted your brain jack they have but look i'm not a threat to society am i um on that note on that note have a lovely week and we will catch up with you again on friday cheery bye